from Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. For this hour and for our next two shows, we will honor the life of Randall Robinson, international human rights activist and a leader in the movement to bring down the brutal, racist system of apartheid in South Africa. He was fearless. He was not afraid of anything or anybody. Under U.S. leadership, the European powers, the United Kingdom, France, and Germany had every intention of supporting the status quo of colonialism and apartheid in Zimbabwe and in South Africa. The Free South Africa movement was the last movement that combined grassroots with working with people inside the establishment, the Congress, and all those other people to get an agenda passed. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, this is the first of three shows honoring the life of Randall Robinson. Randall Robinson was a human rights activist and founder of the organization TransAfrica, best known for his tireless advocacy against the system of South African apartheid and for democracy in Haiti. He was a mainstay of activist life in the Washington, D.C. area, in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, leading sit-ins and rallies outside the South African embassy and holding a hunger strike to support asylum for Haitian refugees. Disgusted by U.S. racism, he left in 2001 to live in St. Kitts, where he died at the age of 81 during March 2023. He's the author of several books, including The Debt, What America Owes to Blacks, and An Unbroken Agony, Haiti, from revolution to the kidnapping of a president. Now, on June 24, 2023, a Washington, D.C. memorial was held for Randall Robinson at Shiloh Baptist Church in Northwest D.C. So I'm honored to bring you that memorial service today and over the next two weeks. And we want to thank Hazel Ross Robinson for allowing us to share this special commemoration with you. Thank you. 
I lift up my eyes to the to the hills. From where will we my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. You're going out and you're coming in. From this time on and forevermore. You may be seated. I could have had 
Randall Robinson, who left a legacy and contribution to our world that is raveled by few. The Robinson family are especially grateful to all who traveled near and far to give your support and to acknowledge your life well lived. Brother Daddy Glover will not be here today because of death of a loved one. I will give the comfort prayer in lieu of Reverend Thomas Bourne, who has been ill. The service will proceed as printed our honored speakers will make two-minute statements in remembrance of Randall. Reverend Menzel. Brothers and sisters, it is with great joy that I greet you today in this house here at Shiloh Baptist Church where we have found of saying 9th MP, it is indeed the place to be. On behalf of our esteemed pastor, the Reverend Dr. Wallace Charles Smith, and the officers and members of this great church, we are delighted to receive you today, although under the umbrella of a memorial tribute to an amazing human being. Perhaps some of you are no strangers here, as you may have worshiped with us or attended an event, so we welcome you back to our sanctuary. Mrs. Robinson, we know you could have held this service of love and appreciation anywhere else, but you chose Shiloh. What a privilege. For this, we say thank you and pray that we have been gracious hosts to you and to your family. As life would have it, our air conditioning system is about to be repaired. <laughs> But we thank you for your indulgence. <laughs> we continue to keep you and your family in prayer. We all know the great work of your husband, Mr. Robertson. Much will be said about his advocacy against South African apartheid, the freedom of Nelson Mandela, his leadership in the free South African movement, his founding of Trans-Africa, his fight for Haitian democracy, and the books he authored. Though his fights were specific to these causes, Mr. Robinson's work transcended to rights for all human beings, especially African Americans and Africans. 
As a West African myself from Liberia, I embrace his belief that freedom for African Americans is bound up in the emancipation of all African people. So we pause today to thank God for the life of a great, great, great man, an activist, a selfless man, a humanitarian, a husband, a father, a brother, and friend to many. We celebrate his journey of service and incredible legacy of sacrifice and humanitarianism. Again, welcome to Shiloh. We thank you for your presence here today. May God continue to bless you and keep you in the hollow of his hands. God bless you. Let us bow our hearts and heads in prayer. Gracious, loving, and generous God of life and death, life is a gift from you. Our children, family, friends, neighbors, and strangers are all gifts to be savored. We are ever so mindful how you created life, how you created life to be limited. We have a finite amount of time on this earth to be your children, to be kind, and are loving to all you created. Although some days may be full of hardship and sadness, each breath, heartbeat, and thought illustrate the beautiful gift of life. Yet sometimes, times such as this when death comes knocking on our door and we are thrown off track. At this moment, our loss feel almost unbearable. Our spirits moan for the loss of our husband, father, grandfather, brother, and friend for the loss of Brother Randall Maurice Robinson. At this moment, nothing seems to be able to help the loss of our family and friends feel. Our hearts are sad and our spirit moans. If only we could have one more day, one more memory together, one moment. A piece of our hearts is still missing and we wish that the pain would go away. All we know is that your grace is sufficient. We understand that you prepared a room for him, Lord, that he will dwell with you forevermore. There is promise and beauty in so many things if we are open to it. Even through the darkest moments, if we try and see the light, there is promise in this as well. We thank you for Brother Randall's life. We thank you that you loaned him to us for a little while. However, the void left within is vast. Therefore, we ask that you hover close to our family, especially his devoted wife, Hazel Ross Robinson, and their daughter, Khalil Ross Robin, his daughter and son, Aniki and Jabari Robinson from his previous marriage, his sister, Jewel Robinson and Jean Robinson Casey, and loving extended family and friends that as we lean on your strength, we may be upheld and comforted by the good news of the life of the world to come. This day, this hour, moment by moment, we choose to lean, to lean on you. For when we are weakest in our strength, your strength is strongest. We pour out our grief out to you, Lord, and praise you that on one glorious day when suffering is extinguished and love has conquered, we shall walk together again. It is in the name of Jesus' name we pray, who was dead but has risen, to whom we give honor and praise now and forever. Amen.
Good afternoon. My name is Hazel Ross Robinson, and I'm Randall's widow. I want to begin by thanking Shiloh Baptist Church for being so very gracious and for their rather detailed attention to every single wish that the family expressed in the planning of this service. There are so many people in this audience who deserve to be singled out, who deserve to be acknowledged, who deserve to be applauded. Unfortunately, time would not permit me to do that. I see the faces of people from Randall's childhood in Richmond. I see the faces of people from Norfolk State with whom he played basketball, his days at Harvard Law School as a young congressional staffer. I see funders who supported TransAfrica. I see persons who served on the board of TransAfrica. I see journalists who covered his work. I see so many people who deserve to be singled out. Forgive me for not singling you out individually. I see volunteers, and most of all, I see the extraordinary TransAfrica staff. I see legislators who push through legislation that they thought was important and he thought was important. So to all of you and for everyone who took the time to be here, I say on behalf of the Randall Robinson, on behalf of the Robinson family, and especially on Randall's behalf, I say thank you very, very much. I'll be reading uh, Psalm 46, verses 1 to 2, through 2 and 5 from the New Revised Standard Version. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns.
You are listening to a special program honoring Randall Robinson. And you just heard opening remarks at the Washington, D.C. Memorial for Robinson held June 24th at Shiloh Baptist Church. That portion of the program began with Reverend Clyde Casey, Robinson's brother-in-law, and also included remarks from the Reverend George Mensah, Senior Executive Minister at Shiloh, expressions of appreciation from Robinson's widow, Hazel Ross Robinson, readings of scripture, and a selection by Shiloh's Senior Choir. Up next, an interview by Patty Satalia, produced by Penn State University, where Robinson taught after he moved to St. Kitts. In his remarks, he includes an account of the civil disobedience on the eve of the Thanksgiving holiday in 1984 that sparked months of protest at the South African embassy here in Washington, D.C., and launched the Free South Africa Movement. Why Penn State? What attracted you to, to this position? The dean of the school, Phil McConaughey, invited me to come and speak at uh, Dickinson more than 10 years ago. I was at the Carlisle campus. And, um, and uh, a few years back, a couple of years ago, he called me in St. Kitts and asked if I'd like to teach. I'd never thought about it, I'd never taught before. Uh, and I told him I'd seriously considered it. I would consider it. I had uh, an enormous respect for him uh, and uh, a great uh, friendship with him that uh, began when I was here the first time. And I told him if I, I would do it if I could uh, uh, not have to move from, uh, from St. Kitts. And he said he thought we could work with that. And so I I come up uh, several times a semester, three or four times a semester, and the rest I do via teleconference, talking to my classes on the two campuses, Carlisle and here at University Park. And so it's been a great experience for me, second career at my age. I've enjoyed it, and the students have, uh, have been invigorating. It's, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been great for me. How does it dovetail with a lifelong interest in improving the lives of blacks, not just in the United States, but in Africa and in Caribbean nations? Well, I'm teaching a course in human rights, and we're talking about the, um, the, human, the international human rights system and the major covenants that have been passed and ratified uh, by the countries of the world and the extent to which uh, we have uh, compliance uh, and don't have compliance, where we have enforcement and where we should have greater enforcement that would produce more compliance. And so I, I, th I think we're learning about the, uh, the human rights global project and our responsibility for it as citizens of a global community and uh, how we, what we do and how we do it to protect the rights of people all, all over the world. And, and, and that's what we're doing and I'm, I'm teaching um, a seminar on that and the exchange is uh, between the students and the students and me is, uh, is, is, is fascinating. When you look back at the work that you've done over the last uh, 30 plus years, what are you most proud of? I, I don't, for, first of all, I, I don't do a lot of looking back. I, um, it, it, it means a great deal to me um, 
when, when I'm when I'm doing uh, something, but the work all seems to be hit, um, and very little of it behind. That's done, and um, I'm as proud of some things I failed at as <laughs> some things I succeeded at. I, I remember when we uh, were doing the South Africa demonstrations. When you, when you do these things, you have no reason to expect um, any success at all. You just like drilling for oil. Well, you, you know, you, you drill a lot of holes and most of them will be dry, but you keep trying and that's relentlessness is the quality you need. And in the case of South Africa, we're talking decades. We had worked on this for a long time and I, I got this idea that we ought to go to the embassy and refuse to leave. And I called um, Mary Frances Berry uh, who's the head of a civil rights, a member of a civil rights commission. Uh, and I called Walter Fauntleroy, uh, who was a delegate in the Congress from D.C., and uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who is now in the Congress from D.C. And I said, I, I think we should go to the embassy and meet uh, with the ambassador and, uh, and refuse to leave and tell him we want to talk about the issues and refuse to leave. We chose the day before Thanksgiving, which we thought was a slow news day. And uh, we so they would cover it. The, so they okay. right. So that they would cover it, and we got there. And he thought it was going swimmingly because we were talking, and he was lecturing on us about how all the progress they were making in South Africa towards good race relations, and of course they were making none. And uh, and and then he got word in the meeting that um, the press was forming outside, saying the people inside meeting with him were not going to leave, and he came in. Um, ashen-faced and uh, said he had called the State Department and we said we, we knew he only had three choices. He would either have us unceremoniously dumped on the lawn or uh, he would lock up the embassy and have us left in there without heat or electricity for the uh, holiday or he would have us arrested. Uh, and I think his, his, um, his, his, his South African preparation had uh, schooled him in the wrong direction, and he came back in. He said, if you don't leave now, um, I, I'm going to have you all arrested. And we said to ourselves, there is a God. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And he did that, and that sparked demonstrations that put 5,000 people in jail in front of that embassy and working with the Congress under the um, leadership of the Congressional Black Caucus on the House side, and, and, and notably um, Senator Ted Kennedy on the, um, on the Senate side, and a Republican, special Republican like Lowell Weicker from Connecticut, who volunteered to get himself arrested, the first U.S. Senator to ever do anything like that. Um, we were able to work together to produce um, these sanctions over the veto of President Reagan. Reagan. And that sparked sanctions around the world. And coupled with what Mandela and the ANC uh, were doing in South Africa, um, um, uh, brought about the downfall of the apartheid system. But on the other hand, I had gone to the Ethiopian embassy uh, to protest and refused to leave. Uh, at the same time, pro protesting left-wing uh, tyranny under Mengistu, uh, Mengistu at the, in Ethiopia. And it got no attention. No attention at all. It got me chained to the uh, jail wall <laughs> in a sweltering cell in, in D.C. and no attention at all. But we, uh, it didn't matter whether it was left or right, uh, whether the government was black or white. Wrong was always wrong. 
and we all uh, always tried to um, to understand what wrong was and to stand against it. Uh, and I guess I'm proudest of being consistent in in that. Uh, it didn't matter so much what the public thought we had succeeded in. Um, it's what we felt inside we had tried to do and how we had stood by what we believed in. You talk boldly and, and truthfully in, in, to the, in the face of power, and I'm wondering if there were any repercussions for that. You name names in, in, in defending the spirit, and um, you're, you're very outspoken about uh, things that you felt were wrong and, and people who did wrong. I suppose there were, were um, repercussions, and, and at the same time, I may not be too keenly aware of them. I, I've never been ambitious in the conventional way. Um, I have everything I've always wanted. And so... Um, I think no. you're referring to your wife and your kids. That's, and that's right. <laughs> I'm difficult to punish. <laughs> so uh, I am, um, I am, um, you know, I, I knew going in that uh, I would never be invited on to corporate boards and that sort of thing. Um, and I never wanted that. Um, and, 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 and that's not the mark of any great unselfishness. I'm, I'm just largely a, a private um, kind of person. I don't like crowds and functions and that sort of thing. I've enjoyed my work and I've enjoyed my family. I didn't think we were going to get uh, sanctions against South Africa in my lifetime. And I didn't think I had to believe that. I had to believe that um, I had to do my part and hand the baton on to the next generation. And so I was, uh, I was very surprised to see it happen in my lifetime. Sometimes when you work hard on things, good things happen. On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show, and we are in need of your support. If you rely on the show, if you listen to the show, you come to look forward to what we are able to offer every week, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. And you can also give on our website through PayPal or other means if you want to send a check. All that information is there. But please, please support us. I want to thank our supporters on Patreon so much. And for those who are already supporting, if you can tell a friend who you know would love to sign up, we need the support. Patreon.com forward slash on the ground show or go to on the ground show.org. Thank you. Thank you, Hazel, and the Robinson family for allowing me to share a few thoughts about Randall. Uh, Robbie is only Hazel. Uh, <clears throat> let me try to give you uh, some sense of the Randall Robinson I knew. It would be easy for me to say that uh, he was one of the foremost uh, champions of human rights and civil rights in the United States and political rights around the world. To say he spoke for the oppressed and the marginalized is true, but would be somewhat of an understatement. He was born in a segregated Richmond, where the powers to be didn't care whether he lived or whether he died. 
whether he was educated or not, whether he was famished or not. Yet he developed a free mind. Martin Luther King Jr. said, a man can't walk over you if your back is straight. Benjamin Elijah Mays said, a free mind can take you anywhere. Jesus said, when we walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I am with you. Jesus is saying, a free mind, and you can walk with me, and you can hear me. Randall Robertson had a free mind. In his well-received book, The Debt, Randall asked, quote, who am I? Just who in the hell am I? It's life's core question. It's a question that cannot be answered. The end of the quotation. Let me suggest in part that Randall's life offers an answer for the unanswerable. Randall answered only to his God, his family, and the anguished cries of his brothers and sisters around the world. And Randall, a free mind developed who understood the evils of colonialism, apartheid, segregation, police brutality, and modern oppression. Probably best known as anti-apartheid leader and a champion of democratic reforms in Haiti. Yet, I think I would be remiss if I didn't give you a little insight into a rather unknown unknown uh, incident. The United States government and its European allies put forth a duplicitous concept of construction engagement for Zimbabwe and South Africa. Under U.S. leadership, the European powers, the United Kingdom, France, and Germany had every intention of supporting the status quo of colonialism and apartheid in Zimbabwe and in South Africa. But a young African-American woman in the U.S. State Department delivered to Randall top-secret classified documents which exposed the duplicitous behavior of the United States government. Reagan, President Reagan, had talked out of both sides of his mouth. Given that the papers were top-secret and classified, there was a real risk of felony charges and possibly prison. I was admittedly somewhat leery. However, Randall, with a clear-eyed determination, said we're going to expose this hypocrisy, and he gave the papers to the Washington Post and the New York Times. Randall knew how to change the world for Zimbabwe and South Africa, that he had to change the duplicitous conduct of the United States policy. And in doing so, he moved history. Now, you can't do this alone, move history without a partner. Hazel Ross Robertson is such a person. As Aretha Franklin saying, if you want a do-right woman, you better be a do-right man. <laughs> Hazel is a do-right woman who supported Randall and guided and loved him. His children were his special pride. Nikkei, the accomplished artist who had just had a successful show uh, at the University of North Carolina. Jabari, the computer whiz who knows more about AI than <coughs> artificial intelligence does. 
Scalia, the brilliant <coughs> MIT engineer, and when she premieres her first movie, I will say four. That will embarrass her, of course, but I was the fourth person to see her after her birth. Now, after all, as you may think, <coughs> that Randall was perfect. Let me disabuse you of that notion. He could not cook. Nikkei showed up at my house one day around 6 p.m. saying she was hungry. What happened? He burned the pizza. Did he make the pizza from scratch? No, it was from Domino. He put it in the oven and he burned it. And for years when I wanted to needle him, I said he burned the pizza. I could tell another story about Randall and Jabbar trying to dunk a basketball, what I want. It was suffice to say that a middle-aged man that I knew well limped around for about two weeks. We all shall travel from the cradle to the grave, and now Randall. We shall miss you, and we thank God for you. Thank you so much. thought I was saying one thing, and now I've decided to say something else. <laughs> I do that all the time. My students in my class can tell you that, too. And what I want to say is that everything that you've heard about Randall and the marvelous things he did and the leadership and all the rest of it is absolutely true. <laughs> and his caring about his family and all the rest of that. And Kalia, the only thing I ever denied Randall was when he asked me if I would be your godmother, and I'd never been anybody's godmother, and I didn't know what you did. And I asked somebody, and they said, well, you have to help pay for all the stuff that they need, <laughs> and you have to go and stay with them. And you, they told me all, I said, I don't know if I can do all that. I'm not good enough. So I told him, I said, I'm not good enough. But if I had known how you were going to turn out, I would have said yes anyway. <laughs> a couple of important things I want to say, and I'll take up Danny's time, too. The first thing is that uh, the Free South Africa movement was remarkable, I understood, as I was sitting there listening, uh, in many ways. And one of the important ways, it was the last movement that combined grassroots with working with people inside the establishment, the Congress, <laughs> and all those other people, to get an agenda passed, and especially one that involved race. I wrote a book called History Teaches Us to Resist, where I talk about movements. And that occurred to me while I was sitting there. That was a major, the conceptualization, the strategy, the stuff that, you know, that Randall and Sylvia and all of them came up with and Gay and everybody came up with was really, and Jim, was fantastic. And we couldn't have done it without the lawyers, Jim. We wouldn't have had a movement. Uh, but in any case, that was remarkable. And people ought to learn lessons from how we did that. It was the persistence. When I think about a year and a half of sitting every morning in my house with the group there strategizing for the day, and how we all did that and never gave up. 
and just kept on doing it, doing it, even though we had jobs and we had places. I'd fly off someplace and come back and run over. And I was also thinking of how Randall was a serious person, but he was also funny, <laughs> and very funny. And I remember how he and Roger Wilkins, I was thinking about it this morning, used to pick on me all the time at the house. Roger would go and look at my pantry, and he'd come back and say to Randall, she's only got one potato. <laughs> and then they would say, why do you just have one potato? They would do that to me all the time. You don't ever give us anything to eat. I said, if you want anything to eat, go across the street to Miss Rosen's Deli and buy something. I don't even cook for myself. Uh, but they would always, you know, and sometimes when we were up on the land marching, Roger would start singing, one potato, two potato, one potato, <laughs> potato. So that the bonding that took place among all of us uh, during that time, uh, these are bonds that will never be never be broken, so he was, uh, he was funny. But when he came to see me, to ask me uh, to help with kicking off the movement, I think Randall thought that he had to persuade me, because he spent about an hour giving me all these different reasons for why I could be a radical, and I could do this, and I could do that, and the other. I mean, after all, I'd been a war correspondent in Vietnam. Uh, lied to the Pentagon to get press credentials and went over there and spent a summer and saw horrific things and suffered horribly. Uh, he didn't know that. And the Reagan stuff and all the political stuff and the fights that he knew about. But once he finished persuading me, <laughs> I decided that, sure, I would do this. And as I say in the thing that I wrote, all it was was making me continue to be the best person I could be. I define myself in terms of what I do for others and not in terms of what I do for myself. And I knew it had to be done. I didn't know how it would turn out, but I was willing to do it. It didn't take much persuading. So that was the first favor he did by asking me that. And the second one was when he asked me I went over and we talked and he said, you know, this fasting that I'm doing about the Haiti thing, you need to come and be here with me and we're going to fast together. And I said, no, we're not. And I said, we're not for a couple of reasons. One is that we've already made your rep by doing Free South Africa. Everybody knows who you are. You're a public figure now, just like I am. And even, you know, people know. So you don't need me and other people to do that. Uh, you can do that by yourself. And when I think about the folks who were involved, I remember the magnificence of Eleanor Holmes Norton when we went to the embassy. <laughs> and uh, when uh, Eleanor uh, blithely said that she had to go someplace, <laughs> and the plan was for her to go outside and uh, talk to the press and make sure the press uh, gathered there. And she did it magnificently, my sister, you did. And it all went, and I remember also, and Randall loved to tell this story, when the ambassador said that he was going to arrest us, and then he told me and Walter Fauntroy, you people are public officials. What do you mean sitting here talking about you're going to go here and stay here in my office? You, you can't do that. You're part of the government, you know? And uh, he said, how can you do this to me? And I said, and he said, 
Commissioner Barry, how, how, could, how could you do this to me? And I said, because it's right. That's why I'm doing it, because it's right. You go and you call Pretoria and you tell them to free the prisoners and free Nelson and do that. Otherwise, go ahead. So all I can say is that Randall may have thought that when uh, he asked me to fast and I, we finally agreed that I wouldn't and he could do it and that I would be the go-between between him and the White House since I knew all them staffers over there at the time and go back and forth and my job was to persuade them, which was hard, that he was willing to die. I had to persuade them that if they didn't do something, that it was a matter of life and death. And I went time and time and time again. And they were persuaded. And it didn't solve the Haitian problem ultimately. Poor Haiti, poor Haiti to this day. But it was important. So all I can say is that I will be eternally grateful to Randall and his memory for asking me to do the two things that he asked me to do, the one, two that I did, <laughs> because doing it made me a better person. Thank you. Thank you, Hazel and family, for this honor of commenting. I was the dean of the law school and the School of International Affairs at Penn State University when Randall Robinson joined our faculty. Shortly after I was appointed dean, I had asked Randall, I invited him to speak at the law school about how black Americans have been deliberately cut out of their African history for so many years and what this meant for the lives and aspirations of African Americans uh, since. These were the themes in Randall's books, The Debt and the Reckoning. In his next book, Quitting America, Randall commented on a conversation he and I had had uh, about that time, about our respective family histories. Mine was easily traceable for several hundred years, long before my ancestors ever set foot in the United States. Randall's family history was barely traceable at all, even though his African family clearly had, had a history of several thousand years. Randall's ability to convey important messages like this was quite extraordinary. I eventually mentioned to him how consequential it would be if someone of his stature and perspective would join our faculty. I was thrilled when he said he would be interested. Randall's impact on Penn State was immediate. Faculty and students were inspired by his presence. One project that was especially important to me was helping Randall advance a public television series he created and called World on Trial. The basic idea was that Randall would host and narrate courtroom trials of sharply contested international human rights issues. The first episode dealt with France's headscarf law, which prohibits Muslim schoolgirls from wearing hijabs at public schools. 
Randall went to Paris and interviewed Muslim women leaders on both sides of the issue. Those who viewed hijabs as symbols of male oppression and who supported the law, those who viewed hijabs as individual expressions of religious and political identity who opposed the law. The courtroom drama was compelling. Randall's good friend, Harvard Law Professor Charles Ogletree, led the challenge to the headscarf law. The French official who drafted the headscarf law led the defense. Cherie Booth, the noted British human rights barrister and wife of former Prime Minister Tony Blair, served as judge. Leading experts from around the world appeared on both sides of the case. All, all of these remarkable individuals volunteered immediately their time upon learning that World on Trial was conceived of by Randall Robinson. I'm, I was going to conclude my comment with the interview we all saw at the beginning, um, but I think it's worth repeating because to me it said so much about Randall's character. You know, when, when he was asked by the interviewer, Patty Satalia, you know, of, of all of your humanitarian and policy achievements, of all of your, you know, 19 honorary doctorates, um, of all of your international awards, of which are you most proud? And we saw Randall pause, and in the entire interview, he then said, the fact is, I have everything I've ever wanted in life, in my wife and my daughters and my son. Thank you. You've been listening to a special show this hour, honoring the life of international human rights activist, Randall Robinson. This is the D.C. Memorial held for him June 24th at Shiloh Baptist Church in Northwest D.C. The last voice you heard was Philip J. McConaughey, Dean and Professor at the Peking University School of Transnational Law in Shenzhen, China, and he was the former dean at Penn State University School of Law. Before him was Mary Frances Berry, the Geraldine Siegel Professor of American Social Thought at the University of Pennsylvania, co-founder of the Free South Africa Movement and a friend of Robinson. And the reflection started with James L. Hudson, former counsel for Trans-Africa and Robinson's friend. Thanks again to the Robinson family for allowing us to share this special commemoration with you. More from the memorial in the next shows, including Congresswoman Barbara Lee and Ed Lewis, founder and former CEO of Essence Communications and former chairman of the Trans-Africa Forum and a friend of Randall Robinson. And that will do it for today's show. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network. You can contact us, work with us, and support us and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook or Twitter or patreon.com forward slash onthegroundshow. Or also link to all of our shows on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Averum. That's I, V like Victor, E-R-E-M like Mary. Our theme music for our show is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averum. Until next time, take good care. 
and keep raising your voice. Peace. <laughs>